This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Listeners, here we go. At the time of this, it is nearly June. I hope everyone has enjoyed whatever you can call a spring, especially if you're from the Midwest. Uh, it's pretty much just an automatic winter to summer, uh, which is okay. I'm not complaining. I actually like the heat and uh, I don't mind the transitions of weather too much. So I'm not complaining. Love the heat. I hope you are looking forward to summer and whatever that might be looking like. Today we have on Dr. Carly Hudson. I was honored to be a guest on Dr. Carly's podcast and loved her perspective so much that uh, I, I really wanted to get her on here as well. So she could benefit you, the listeners. And uh, thankfully she, she was able and willing. Dr. Carly is a chiropractor, but she is also a experienced behavior change specialist. She has experience on the psychology side of education, biomechanics, movement. But what's really unique about Dr. Carly is her personal background. She was diagnosed with a bacterial meningitis at birth. She has gone through various other brain and neural traumas since then. Her approach to how she helps her clients and her approach to behavior change is just a little different. And it's a little different, not necessarily by the science, but of the perspective and the passion that comes with it. And that's what this episode is really about. What should healthcare look like? What should habit change look like? What should your approach, your self-awareness, self-awareness, excuse me, what should all that look like to not only optimize your chance of, of seeing improvement in your life, but also so you look at the journey, at the decisions a little differently. One of Dr. Carly's mottos is change comes with a thousand choices a day. And not only is, I mean, obviously there's, there's some ways that that is just an awesome quote in general, but she'll talk through some different ways of, of where she came up with that quote and why she uses it. And from start to finish, I really enjoyed both this conversation with Dr. Carly and my first on her podcast. She is just uber intelligent, but also just personable. And you're going to learn so much from her just as I did. So I hope you enjoy it. Listen in. Please don't forget to rate and review. And as always, just thank you for being a listener. Enjoy. All right, listeners, we're rolling. Dr. Carly, thanks so much for being on today. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved our previous chats and I'm so excited to get to be a guest on your podcast. Yes. And now, you know, I'll, I'll plug that right away because by the time this comes out, it'll already be on. Um, this mm-hmm. is Dr. Carly and I's second conversation because we love the first one so much that we have to do at least one more, probably more. But please check out Dr. Carly's podcast because it is just fantastic. And I really like one of the guests, but I'm biased towards myself a little bit. Um, <laughs> But really, though, it was a great talk. Um, I'm really looking forward to our, our next wave of, of conversation today. But before we get too far ahead, can you tell listeners a little bit more about yourself? 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I came to chiropractic and alternative healthcare through a very personal avenue. And it's, it's not uncommon, you know, to have this be the way that we arrive here. We're looking for the ways to heal ourselves. But I have, you know, essentially never known what it is to be well, to be, you know, an able-bodied. I had bacterial meningitis when I was seven months old. Back in the 80s, you had about a 5% chance of survival from that. So, you know, Western medicine saved my life. The good people at Children's Hospital here in Colorado, you know, brought me back. But um, I was left with a traumatic brain injury from all of the inflammation. The meningitis uh, really uh, did a number on me. So I had growing up profound hearing loss, deafness in my left ear, actually deafness in both ears, but predominantly then it settled in my left um, movement disorders, memory and speech issues that just sort of progressed throughout my life. But once I got mobile again, after the meningitis, I, I was seven months, so I was just starting to crawl and pull myself up. I had to go into PT to learn how to hold my own head up again and then progress towards walking, which I think I reached somewhere around about two years old. Once we got there, PT and insurance and everything just kind of said, good as you're going to get, compensates well best of luck to you. And that was not going to be good enough. I, my mom started investigating alternative therapies. So I received acupuncture and massage and nutrition and nutraceuticals from a very young age. And I always had these wild, hairy dreams that I would, you know, it sounds melodramatic, but I would, I would sometimes cry myself to sleep, imagining this person that I could have been without these injuries and knowing that I would do anything to get there. So as I started looking for those answers and trying to understand what this mystery thing was that had so, you know, disabled my body, because we didn't even know to call it a traumatic brain injury then, I found my way through massage and I got my massage therapy training. Um, I, I went a while into psychology and interpersonal relationship. Cognitive behavioral therapy was a big part, how we talk to ourselves, how we engage with ourselves. You know, depression became a really huge symptom of mine for a while and came back from the brink of, of uh, suicidal depression there. And then chiropractic and particularly this um, tiny niche of functional neurology within chiropractic, all of these things put together. And I'll just kind of pull all those into a nutshell to give the, the punchline to your listeners is I'm no longer hearing impaired. I no longer have movement disabilities. I no longer have speech impairments or cognition issues. I have healed those all. I did have another traumatic brain injury last August that I am now healing again, but I have the tools and I know I can. Yeah. I, what, that's what's amazing. And it, the mm -hmm. timing's, timing's um, interesting too. I just finished a book about a, a neurosurgeon who had a bacterial meningitis. And in the book, I learned a lot of things I didn't know about bacterial meningitis, including how that's the rarest form of meningitis. There are different forms and how mm -hmm. rare it is to get that form, but how, how just how severe it is. And, you know, in, in the, I'll spare the, the, I'm not, this is not a plug for the book, but it was, he was in a seven day coma and just, I think at his age and the coma state, it was like a 1% chance of living. It was, but I, I guess I didn't know that. I didn't realize that a bacterial meningitis was so different from from, from other forums, that was, that was new to me. Yeah, it's not the one you want to get. Not, do not recommend that. <laughs> no, yeah. If you have a choice, yeah. I guess choose the other. Yeah, um, choose the other. <laughs> but, but it is, it's, I just learned the severity of it. So, I mean, I think that it was just an interesting timing. Uh, your compilation of professional background and education, it's fascinating and people can obviously see like, oh, like, well, this is why she uses all different modalities. But as we've spoke about a little before the recording, 
we think people should look at more of a systemic view of health anyway. So I would love to ask your opinion on, you know, I realize your personal history is what led you to these different modalities, but how maybe people sometimes put different modalities on their own island. We either choose the healthcare system, the rehab system, the holistic system, and why that maybe shouldn't be the case. Yeah. And, and we really do. And I see this with my patients in my office quite frequently is well, I'm doing this one thing and we want to focus on that one thing. And we think that that provider, you know, whatever it is, whether it's PT, rehab, MD, pharmaceutical, chiropractic movement, these pieces that they are standalone. But I think that comes from an inherent misconception and misunderstanding of how the body works at that functional level. It also comes with a need of humility on the part of the providers where we are trained in what we are trained in. And we are only human. There's nothing like going to school with a bunch of wannabe doctors to really appreciate that we are only human and we're only going to know what we are taught. So I, I have cast a very wide net across my education. So I, I have a lot of modalities that I can draw from. And I like, I like to tell my patients, I know just enough to be dangerous and, and it makes it easier for me to refer you out. But, you know, I, I am a specialist in biomechanics and movement. That's what my training is. I give a fantastic adjustment. That is what I know the most about. I know enough about pharmacology to understand the, the, um, the medications that are being brought into my office, As, aside from the fact that it's outside my scope and I'm not touching it anyway, I don't have the training to say anything about that type of care. Well, in that same vein, medical doctors have a phenomenal training on pharmacology, perhaps surgery, other interventions of that vein, but they have practically next to nothing training on nutrition and movement and lifestyle interventions. So we all have our lane that we need to stay in, but somehow we have engaged in this conversation where we've convinced the patient to have to stay in our lane as well when we garner the most success if we cast a really wide net. Again, using my really extreme bias of my own life story, Western medicine saved my life. I would no amount of essential oils, chiropractic adjustments, or PT was going to save me from that bacterial meningitis. I needed all the steroids they could throw at me. But it was this wide net of other modalities that made it worth living when the traditional model said, you're as good as you're going to get, instead of saying, we're as good as we're going to get you. Right. I, I love the direction you went with that because I think when people hear people like me talk, sometimes they automatically assume, oh, he's anti-Western medicine. That, mm -hmm. is, that is the farthest from what you or I are saying. We're mm -hmm. saying there is just a lot of pieces to the puzzle and that there probably is no piece of any kind that should be the standalone piece. Is that a more fair way to put it? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's turned into this huge us against them mentality. And there's a lot of historical reference for that. I mean, when you had the Flexner report come out in the early 1900s, that forbade essentially teaching um, nutrition and movement therapies in what were accredited medical schools. You know, the largest smear campaign in American history is actually the AMA against chiropractors. There is a lot of fiscal fight for that piece of the pie, you know, but the people who um, suffer the most from that are patients who are looking for answers, whose answers often lie in the so-called alternative medicine world. Um, and they're just not being led to those providers. They have to find them themselves. Yeah. And to your words, to use your words from earlier, 
it really does take humility on the practitioner, the coach, the trainer, the rehab expert, whatever it might be to say, here's, here's just my piece of your journey. Mm -hmm. However, you will need more than me. That's a really Mm -hmm. hard thing for professional to say. However, it's, it's actually counterproductive, not just to the person they're trying to treat, but to their business as well. More people will not return to someone that thinks they are the all-knowing expert than the mm-hmm. someone that trusts themselves enough to say, let's let's get someone else involved to join our team. Oh, and it feels counterintuitive, but you know, when I have patients who tell me, oh, I referred so-and-so to you, you know, they have a very complicated problem. And I said, and I told this person, I told the person they were referring to me that she can probably fix you. But if she can't, she's gonna know who does. That that the fact that I am willing to send people out of my office has. I wasn't expecting it has appeared to be the best referral, the best referral pitch that I can give. And this is not a, like how to market yourself in, you know, five pitches thing here, but there's a value to being able to say, I don't know about that, but I do know someone who does. Yeah, absolutely. And for the, for the person on the the client side or the, the patient side, I think the point of this is how do you find the person who is willing to look mm-hmm. at a team approach along with you. So what would be your advice to that person? What are maybe some questions that if you're going to reverse engineer what you do for a living before someone comes into your office, what are some really smart questions they should ask you before you guys move forward with your process? Well, I think it really comes down to curiosity and curiosity on part of the patient and on the part of the provider, particularly if you have something, a constellation of symptoms that are really out of the box. You know, you're over there in that orphan disease camp of nobody knows what is going on with me and I'm about done with it. You really need providers who are creative and curious and are willing to look outside of the box and look for other people to work with them. So I always couch my questions in, so I have tried X, Y, and Z. What do you think about that? And if if the response is, oh, well, that's crap, that's bunk, then I know that that's not an open-minded provider. If it's someone saying, oh, I have heard of, or no, I don't know much about, tell me what your experience was. Now, here's a provider who is willing to co-create a story with me. You know, have you seen anyone with my condition before, with my symptoms before? What do you do for it? And if that doesn't work, what else do you do? How do you escalate from your office? Well, my office is the end-all be-all. Well, that's a pretty big ego. Or, well, I can typically get people to 80%. And then after that, I have found it very useful to add on another provider. It's really either this expansion thinking or I've got everything you need between my four walls. I love that. I, it's, I, it's, I love the approach. The first one is, is such a good red flag. It's a life red flag too. People that mm-hmm. talk down on others, there, there's just something right there that should just make your skin crawl a little bit. It, it should definitely make you rethink who it is you're getting advice from, even if it's from mm-hmm. a friend. Yeah. You know, I, we all have those friends who maybe I love dearly. We walk in and just everything is just negative. Yeah, I, th- I think that's it's probably going to bring you more more negative than it is positive to your own program. For that I, I think that's I mean that's all good advice, but I really like that one kind of on an island. Yeah, well, and it's more to that too. It's not even just the talking down piece, which is certainly a red flag. You know, there's if if you need to make yourself feel better and what you have to offer, 
feel better by tearing another provider or another approach down. That says a lot about what you feel about your skill set, whether or not it's true. But the other piece to that is, you know, I've tried X, Y, and Z. And if the answer is, tell me what you think about or what your experience was, is now I know I have found someone who wants to co-create a story with me. That, you know, I always tell my patients that I may be the expert in, you know, my form of treatment, but you're the expert in your body. You've been living with this for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I don't know all the things you've tried. I don't know if they've worked. And if you can tell me a story about all the things you've tried, I might see the path that is winding through all of the modalities that you've picked up that you just needed a guide to say, actually, all of these, you know, which of these things is not like the other, all of the things that have really worked for you have been movement focused. All the things that have really worked for you have been strength focused. Let's hone in on that and see if we can really make a program that works for you because you are the expert on the path that you've already walked. What I guess ownership, right? To the person a little bit, mm-hmm. but it, but it's one of the bullet points I have right in front of me. It's understanding your body with the, your underlined, mm-hmm. you know, cause the person should be a big part of this equation. Mm-hmm. Some, even if they don't want to be, I think sometimes people come in and this happens in, in the, you know, in what I do and which is often aesthetic, even if people want more health. So you know, oftentimes it is it's aesthetic. I have a lot of people that come in saying weight loss is my goal. That's it. You tell me what to do. You tell me everything. And then when there's return questions, sometimes there's a little bit of apprehension towards, I really want, I don't want to answer these questions. I just want you to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. I can't. And that's yeah. the truth. Until I get some feedback about what you have been doing, what you try, what you haven't tried, what your personality type is like, see you work out a handful of times. Until I have all that information, I not only can't I give advice, it would be, it would be almost immoral for me too, because I'm giving you advice that's really just yeah. random. Yeah. I mean, it's not personalized. And I think that's another thing that has kind of fallen off the rails when we talk about this care remaining on an island is that we have also really learned to outsource our care, to outsource the responsibility for our bodies, that I have something wrong with me and you're going to give me a pill to fix that. My back hurts. You're going to do a surgery to fix that. So when we have that mentality of that white coat worship of you're going to fix it, I have something wrong. I give you my body, you fix it. Well, we have found time and time again that that doesn't stack up against you taking responsibility for your body. You know, taking medication is going to help manage your symptoms, but eating right and taking, you know, making sure you're getting your vitamin D and getting a good night's sleep and drinking water can keep you from needing that medication in the first place. Say if you're like, you know, routinely getting the cold, like the autoimmune is a whole different category. I'm speaking kind of broadly here, Sure. but having that approach makes your body stronger. Taking something to get rid of your symptoms gets rid of your symptoms and your body stays the same and perhaps starts to get weaker over time. Same thing for back pain. Surgery has about a 50, 50 chance of working. If you have chronic back, low back pain, um, different types of surgeries may have more of a success rate, but as a general bulk, it's 50, 50. And then opiates, opiates, as we know, that even though um, they help get rid of that pain initially, they have a diminishing return as well as a high addictive property to them. Now, on the other hand, you take chiropractic care, PT rehab adjustments and massage, and we have something like a 75% um, success rate without return of back pain and recurrence of back pain, which is something that opiates and uh, surgery can't guarantee at such a high level. 
the responsibility is in the patient and you get, you get what you invest in your own health. Absolutely. And I think this brings us right back to this, this systemic or, or team approach to it of medication is sometimes needed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, we're not, and we're not saying it's not, but you know, I, you know, I, I look to the, I look to the basics of health. I look to sleep, I look to nutrition and you know, if, if I call it a motto, I guess it's not really a motto, but my, my members certainly hear enough where they would say it's a motto. There is no scenario that is not helped by also eating right, sleeping right, and drinking enough water. Yes. Not one. Any, pick an illness, pick a mental illness, pick anything. There is nothing that not only isn't helped by adding in the basic, what we, what we would determine basic lifestyle mm-hmm. health, but will be slowed down or deterred by a negative health lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So obviously people understand why I'm coming out with that approach. That's my main approach. You know, this is, this is like me prescribing medicine from my end because I'm prescribing, but I love it from the a medical professional like yourself, you know, how difficult is it? Or maybe how surprising is it to your clientele sometimes when you're saying, yes, you do need what I do chiropractically. Yes. You're on this medication that at least for now you mm-hmm. need, but also where is, where's your lifestyle health? You know, how do you approach it and what's their response? Well, so I, I'm really lucky. I'm a referral-based practice. So I have established a network of patients that are really interested in investing in their health. And they refer to me people who are also really invested in, 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 are really interested in investing in their health. And so those are the best conversations I have is to say, okay, you know, you've got this, this pain that you're coming in with, you've got low back pain, and I'm going to treat you once a week for about three or four weeks just to keep you out of pain. But in that same time, you're going to be doing these rehab exercises that I'm teaching you. You're going to be stretching, you're going to be strengthening. And the goal is that you're going to need me less and less. So when you can go one week without needing me, you're going to go one week and you're going to go two weeks and three weeks on and on until I have most of my patients kind of stop back in every eight to 12 weeks, kind of when the seasons and the activities change, it's a good time to get a tune up. We just, we use our bodies hard. And that really lights my, my typical patient up. They are so excited to have a provider who wants them to have something better to do than come into my office, no matter how delightful I am to visit. (laughs) However, occasionally I will get some patients where that is not their interest at all. I'm not so good at doing exercises. I got to be honest with you. I'm not going to, I'm, you can give them to me. And these are patients that after a while I'll say, listen, it's up to you. You can come see me every week. You can come see me every other week, but you're not going to get off my table any faster than that. If you don't take care of yourself. A lot of times these are patients that don't stay with my practice. There are a lot of chiropractors out there and there's a whole host of different styles of chiropractic. There are a lot of chiropractors out there who just want to adjust you and don't give you any rehab or exercise or lifestyle. It's a different approach. And for those kinds of people who still want to outsource their health and their care, then it's really fantastic because they are getting a physical modality that doesn't have the side effects of surgery and medication that is helping with their back pain. I guess over time, I had to finally argue with myself that that is still really valid. That if you don't want to invest that time in your health or you don't have a lifestyle, family, kids, work, whatever, where you can make yourself a priority, at least you can still get care. But I always want to come back around to that place of saying, where did we learn to not make ourselves a priority? I still have that bias. I can see what motivates a wide variety of people. I got my patients that I love to treat. 
And I still have that bias that why did we learn to not make ourselves a priority? What a great question, though. And I mean that in both a literal sense, but also a, a thought-provoking sense, because we as human beings don't look at it that way. Mm-hmm. One, one, we are really good justifiers. We justify the fact that we're busy with kids, that their work is really busy right now. We are really good at saying, I can't focus on myself right mm-hmm. now. Meanwhile, the body doesn't care what your reason is. It's still going down the tubes in terms of health. Mm-hmm. It really does care. So I think that's such a powerful question that I'm sure you directly ask the people because I know I do the same thing because it's one, it could be met with a little bit of defensiveness at first. Well, how dare you say that? I don't care. But after you allow yourself to sit back for a second, man, when, when did I stop doing that? When did mm-hmm. I stop putting myself as at least a priority, even if I can't be the priority? Yeah. I, it's such a great question. Well, and we all get caught up in that in our own ways. You know, I I have my own life experience where if I am not really diligent about my movement and my sleep for traumatic brain injuries, rest is a huge, huge component. That's one of the bigger boulders that you can move to heal your brain. I deteriorate real quick. I don't have a whole lot of wiggle room to not prioritize myself in that way. But there are other areas in my life, even if it's just like having fun, that self-care of going out and doing what I love and what I enjoy. And someone caught me out when I was a new mother. I think my daughter was maybe two years old and I was listing off all of my priorities. And I think I listed off 10 things and I didn't even make the list. I did not even mention myself. And this this was in that category of things that need to be done. I was still getting a good night's sleep. I was still moving and working out. I thought I totally had it covered, but I was really, you know, upset and unhappy with life. Like, well, you're not a priority. You're not doing, taking care of yourself first. And I think every once in a while, we just need to check in and say, you know, where, where do we land on our list? Have we fallen off our list entirely? Absolutely. And it's taking the time for that question. And I think that's a good transition point into a huge topic we want to get to today. We often reach what we call a new normal. Mm -hmm. We reach new normal with pain, with inflammatory response. There's physical new normals, but there are also mental new normals where we we assume like, I am good. Well, maybe, but one, what is normal? What is good? These are all terms that really don't have a definition. We use them Mm -hmm. subjectively willy-nilly as we do negative terminology too we're bad or you know there's there's other ways to spin that but, but i think we've reached a point of normal where if we don't force ourselves to question what is normal to question where we're at and to experience what's quote-unquote abnormal for us we, we really don't have a leg to stand on to make that judgment call anymore and it's again that's a defensive way sometimes people might respond defensively to that because of how dare you tell me what's normal for me i know myself better than anybody I would say, do you? Well, and it really speaks to um, the bias of our brain. We have a very lazy and efficient brain. And if we live with something long enough, it is more practical for the brain to decide, okay, this is normal now. What do I need to put in place to just sustain this level of stress, this level of not sleeping? It has to be sustainable. And it's not really long-term forward thinking. I often compare the brain to like a toddler, where it's like, I have fixed the problem today, today, today. And maybe if it is not getting enough sleep, 
it's going to jack with your cortisol levels and mess around with your testosterone and other hormones so that you can exist on enough sleep, short-term girl accomplished. All right. So maybe you have some weight gain and you start aging a little bit faster and your hair gets brittle and gray. And, you know, because your sleep cycle is off, you get sick later. That's fine. We'll fix that later. Right now I have managed your normal of a sleep pattern and we adapt and that does become our normal. It takes a very active approach to healthcare to challenge that first cognitively, just thinking, like you said, when did I start doing this? When did I make it okay? And then you have to put consistent, regular effort into turning that ship around and healing from, you know, the, the, the side effects of your choice, as long as that may take. Absolutely. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to speak bluntly here for a second and advise that I'm speaking for myself, not for you. And please feel free to disagree with me. I, I do have a, I don't want to say a problem, but a disagreement with a little bit where we've gone as a society to everything should be so, some very comfort, some, something, everything should be within, well, you got to, you got to listen, listen to your body's become, do what makes you happy all the time. I think we, we need to reverse a little bit the other direction to say uncomfortable isn't just okay. It's probably a part of the process. Yeah. And, you, and again, you can look at that physically. If I'm not a little bit uncomfortable in the gym, I'm not stressing the system enough to see change, physical mm-hmm. change. I can't see strength improvement. I can't see muscle gain. I can't see fat loss. I mm-hmm. But also mentally being uncomfortable, mentally being like, I'm not just, I don't, I'm not in the flow right now because I'm uncomfortable because my habits are being disrupted, hopefully in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I, I think sometimes I'm seen as insensitive when I go towards this, this approach. But I, but I do stand by it. I think we are too much. I think becoming, being comfortable all the time has become the goal, mm-hmm. which then has become the roadblock for every other goal we have in life. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. Because I mean, change doesn't happen in comfort because the, the system is happy. The system doesn't need to change anything. But when we have a little bit of that discomfort, a little bit of that challenge, that's where we have to go up against the edge of, is what I'm doing working? can I do it better? And and this is how our bodies exist. It's It's called hormesis where we need to have just enough stress, just enough things to kill off cells that don't work well enough. If we're not working out and raising our blood pressure, raising our heart rate, then we are not challenging our, ourselves at a cellular level to clean out the cells that are getting a little long in the tooth and really need to be you know, taken out with the garbage. And if we don't do that, then our heart is just working on these, you know, lazy cells that should have been retired years ago. So that when we do get a really big stressor, we're not up for the challenge. And that's what the constant, like low, not constant is not the right word, but having regular low level stress, like regular low level challenge, extreme temperatures, going out on a very hot day, going out on a very cold day, instead of staying in a climate controlled office. We're not talking extreme things. This keeps our body challenged and moving forward in a growth mindset. Same with putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations, having political conversations with someone we disagree with. That is challenging and uncomfortable, and it challenges us to think differently. It's a whole nother bag of worms, but there is not a single system in our body that doesn't respond to that. Now, that being said, we have toxic hormesis where it's too much stress And it's so much that it is killing us. Chemotherapy is an approach to that. It is a toxic level of chemicals meant to kill any cell with a rapid growth turnover to get rid of cancer. 
You know, being out on a hundred degree day is one thing, being out in 120 degrees is a total another. Right. We have to find that sweet spot of challenge and growth. Yes. Extremes are not good anyway. Yeah. Oh, I, I chronic extreme stress isn't good, but zero stress. Where, what are we, are we growing? Where are we at? Um, it's just yeah. as dysfunctional as extreme stress. Yes. I, and um, a year, maybe two years out, it's, it's been a while. I started taking a cold shower every day and I, you know, there's here and there, I've gone away from it to the detriment of, of the positive things that it's brought to me. But at first when I did it, it was a physiological benefit. I was looking for the things that, that people talk about in the books of, you know, it does aid in energy improvements. It does age in small levels of, of fat loss. There are things it helps with. What I realized as I kept doing it was I was, I started doing it less for that, even though it did make me feel better right after I feel fantastic after it, it started becoming a lesson thing for me. If I can't deal with this 60 second to three minutes of discomfort right now in a very controlled setting, if I can't get through this, how am I going to deal with the next time my kids erupt? The business goes through a lull. I have, I have a cleanse that I'm, I'm not helping and I can't figure it out. When the real stresses hit, how, how am I going to get through that if I can't put myself through a little bit of, of, of one to three minute uncomfortable, uncomfortability, that's not a word, of being uncomfortable daily. Yeah. So it almost become, became a, a practice for me of being uncomfortable more than it became about the physical daily health. But it's so true. If we don't practice being uncomfortable, then you're right. When the big things show up, we over-respond, we under-respond because we haven't found that sweet spot of, you know, you take that cold shower and your first inclination is to hold your breath and tighten up. And that yeah. only just makes it so much worse. <laughs> but yeah. if you can start to tap into your breath and slow down your breathing and relax into all of your joints, then the blood flow actually helps and, you know, on and on, like all the books say, but you have to practice. You're practicing your breath. You're practicing your focus. You're practicing your body control. Not that different than when your child loses their ever-loving mind in public. Tense up, don't breathe, or nice deep breaths. We're all going to get through this together. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a personal story. Definitely a personal story. No, 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 <laughs> yeah. no. I, I didn't. No, I, I read <laughs> the hypothetical nature of your. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Sure. Not my kid. Someone else's kid. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Mine are perfect all the time, and I Absol never lose my temper ever. Never, right. Yes. Never, never happened. You yes. and I. Both. <laughs> yes. Good. I'm glad we're on the same page as usual. Uh, no, and it's it's again, it's it's so so well said by you, and th and that's one decision a day, mm -hmm. out of a thousand. Uh, you know, there's yeah. something that you see all over your website, and I love it. With your trademark, I'm going to probably quote it a million times. <laughs> you know that that health is this, this compilation of a thousand choices a day. Um, mm -hmm. One word you start using that the, the theory and the quote, I should say, because I love it. But two, can you talk through a little bit about how many of those choices are active choices? How many are automatic, autonomous, subconscious choices? And where do they overlap maybe? Okay, that's a really fantastic question. And I, that makes me wanna kind of dig into the research. I mean, we have so many um, subconscious choices a day. You know, most of our brain, most of the day, our brain wants to go on autopilot. Again, very lazy and efficient. If you have to put energy into everything that you're doing all day, you are gonna collapse with exhaustion by lunchtime. And, you know, to, to take a very real example of that, coming from a traumatic brain injury, my, my cerebellum, the part of my brain that coordinates my movements, um, took a big hit. So I had to put conscious focus into coordinating my movements so I could walk not like a drunk person. And I was exhausted all the time. So much of our life is an autopilot. But that being said, 
health is not just one choice. It's not just that one thing that we do. It's a thousand little choices a day that all add up to health, that all adds up to being a little bit better today than you are tomorrow. So some of those are conscious choices, like I'm going to grab my water instead of a soda. Some of those are unconscious choices, like I just stumbled into a really stressful situation and I held my breath, or I have practiced discomfort and my first reaction is to stumble into deep breathing. So sometimes health has to be a practice. And, you know, when we talk about um, you know, healthcare things like doing yoga, doing a yoga practice, if the practice is not, and I think it's kind of been pulled away that it's the yoga practice of I'm going to spend an hour on my mat so I get a good cardio and, and fitness workout. No, the practice is sitting in an uncomfortable posture and breathing through it so that when you are in an uncomfortable place, your initial reaction is to breathe. You could do that with a cold shower. You could do that with a meditation practice, but either way, until it becomes second nature to you to just breathe through a stressful situation, you better keep practicing so you know what you're drawing on without being able to give a true number on it. But I, I like your challenge and I'm going to see if I can come up with that is I'd say in the most of our healthcare choices throughout the day are unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd, there's only. I'd, yeah. I would love to see what you come up with. I've seen 80%. I see eighty percent of our choices are not active choices a day, and and again maybe you know, you you have access to different research than I do, mm-hmm. um, but but to your point I think it probably odds are won't be that different. I think when you think of it that way it's I don't call it alarming but sometimes you think like man I am on autopilot for the majority of my day, mm-hmm. but it also gives you a little bit of insight towards what it would take to make things that you are having trouble with. How do you Here's your challenge, right? Here's habit change 101. How do I take something from the 20% to the 80? Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is it's got to start in the 20. It has to. You can't throw something into the 80. It's it's like saying you have never played golf before, and golfers alone will appreciate this, but even someone that like me who is terrible at golf, I can't swing a golf club once a year and then out of nowhere expect to be able to go play 18 holes really well. Mm-hmm. Why would I be able to? Why should you automatically make good nutrition choices? Why should you automatically just start going to bed an hour earlier every day? If it, 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 it seems controllable to people, it's, it's not. It actually shouldn't be that easy. You should have to work at it. Yeah, if it was that easy, there would be no point of any of us having these podcasts. Like, you know, ha- <laughs> yeah, I <have> half. <laughs> yeah, I got no job. Half of what we're doing is yeah. is doing this encouragement and rah rah to you can do it. So I always advise that you pick one thing to start with, because just like any sport, just like any other activity, you're going to practice that one skill or that one piece of the conditioning training, and then learn your way into the next thing. If you give your brain too many things to change at one time, ultimately you're going to fry out and fail because now you're trying to spend, you know, you say 80% is unconscious. You're trying to eke that 20% into 30, 40, 50 and control everything about your day and you'll fry out. So there's another kind of second meaning to a thousand choices a day that I don't often get to get to on podcasts, but I think it's, you know, a really important part is that sometimes it is challenging your unconscious choice for one healthcare goal a thousand times a day that I have a, an, another personal story. Um, so when I was in my twenties, I, after trying to basically not be disabled and keep up with my able-bodied peers that 
Let's try it weighing me down. I, I ended up with, with suicidal depression and I, I got into care with a cognitive behavioral therapist. And we started talking about the way I talked about myself and the way that I found my value and my worth compared to those that I thought had it easier than I did. All of this is my perspective in my brain. There's like no zero sum on suffering, but I thought I really held the lion's share, you know, at 18 when I control the world. And so he gave me a, a exercise where I carried around a note card in my back pocket. And we came up with about three phrases that I thought a lot. You're worthless being the one that I remember now. And every single time I thought that, I need to take out my note card, make a check mark, think something like stop in my head and replace it with, I am worthy. Start making that conscious choice to stop thinking I'm worthless and start thinking I'm worthy. When I first started this practice, I couldn't even get that stick and paper back in my back pocket before I had to make another check mark. Like, I just said I wasn't worthless. Come on. I literally made that choice a thousand times in one day. And the more I practiced it and made it my job to change the way I thought about the way I thought about myself, the note card stayed in my back pocket longer and longer and longer until, you know, I didn't even carry it with me anymore. But sometimes that thousand choices a day is making the same choice a thousand times because it is that important that you move it over to the 80%. For me, it was life and death. Yeah, which I mean, what what bigger mm-hmm. motivator, right? Sometimes yeah. than that. But um, one, thank you for sharing that. That's just obviously extremely powerful to people. And also just the, I love the literal takeaway too of regardless of what you're, you had to find a way to remind yourself to do that a thousand times a day, right? The no card became, I think people get so focused on the powerful nature of the story, mm-hmm. but if there's a takeaway to their goal, it's, it's the task. It's, yes. the, it's, it's the littlest part of your story might be the biggest for everybody of if you don't find a way to create the reminder, because it's not a subconscious decision, because it's not mm-hmm. part of the 80%. You don't make that decision a thousand times a day, which means you don't get repetition, which means you don't do it, which Mm -hmm. now to go back to the powerful side, do you ever see the change that led you to being here with us today and being such a positive influence on, you know, the thousands of people that you are? Oh, thank you. And then, and yeah, I mean, it it surprises me. It's almost comedic that I tell that story. And I, so I'm so, so grateful that you pulled out the piece that you did and you brought focus to it because I have told that story and I get this really, you know, it's an emotional story as this poor teenager pulling themselves out of the grips of depression. I go, wow, how did you do it? I I just told you the the note, the note card, the, the, the check marks, it was really grueling and annoying. I got a lot of paper cuts and I just had to do the same thing over and over again. It's like, no, but really, but really, (laughs) that was it. (laughs) <laughs> that was it. And and that's what it comes down to. Health for me, you know, we, we have these catastrophic life-saving things. The, the meningitis that started me off on this journey, that was heroic. That That is a story in and of itself. But when it comes to lifestyle and quality of life and improving with these thousand choices a day, it's not mm. sexy. It's not a silver bullet. There's nothing terribly impressive about every time I took out my note card. In fact, it was a little embarrassing and I had to explain this whole long thing to the people I'm around. I tried to hide it. It's not Instagrammable. The results on the back end, I can spin it into a great story. In fact, I've written a whole book about it. Join me on my website. We'll promote it later. But in that moment, it was not very appealing and it was not very interesting 
but it was the consistency that got to the end goal. And I think that we have conflated that, you know, there's so many influencers or so many buy my protein powder, do this, do that. It's the one thing you need and it's sexy and it's bold and it costs you a lot of money. Health is not made on that. It's made on tediously annoying choices throughout the day that you decide you are worth making. It's that's quote of the day right there. It's, 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 to, it's the iceberg. It's, it's every other analogy in the world where people talk about it. It's, it's working behind the scenes, but mm-hmm. it's all the stuff that it's doing all the stuff you don't want to do so many percent of the time, just so when you, when it matters the most, it shows up, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, I, I had a bunch of pro athletes that left right before we talked, you know, and when I get to watch their games, I get to watch with such a different perspective because everyone else saw the really good game. One of them had, I saw the thousands and thousands of hours that we spent together in between those Mm -hmm. games in between seasons in between over as the year stacked up. That's what I saw. I saw the combination of work and it's so cool that I, you know, I really, I'm very fortunate that I get to see that perspective. And obviously now, you know, I'm sure that's similar for you when you see someone just being high functioning, just walking around without back pain, people are seeing the end result. You saw how much it took to get there. It's just a different appreciation, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's my favorite part. It really, really is. And, and when a patient comes in and they said, well, I started having these aches and these pains. And then I did all the exercises that we worked on together. And and then I I guess I didn't have to come in for that appointment with you. Like that is the best feeling in the world. You you worked on this. You took something that you were entirely unconscious that you ever needed to do before. You became competent at it. And then you started applying it without anyone telling you to. It's like a proud mama moment for me. Look at this. It it sure is. And for any listener, I don't care what brought you to this episode, but whether whether you're sick, hurting, or just want to lose, whatever brought you to this episode, doesn't matter. Make that part of your goal. Make being proud of yourself and the work you put in part of the goal instead of what's the easiest path possible that probably won't get me to my journey anyway. Instead of Mm -hmm. making that the goal, instead of making comfortability the goal and an easy path the goal, make it a challenge. Because you know what? When you finally accomplish it, that becomes equally as satisfying as whatever the original goal was that you sought out to to reach. Absolutely. I mean, I, and I was kind of thinking about this in terms of overcoming depression and some of the other things that I have overcome is that they were, none of them were supposed to be cured. Everything that I've listed off that I'm no longer dealing with was supposed to be, you know, mine for a lifetime. And with depression in particular, you know, I kind of go back and I wonder, it's like, well, was I not depressed anymore because I did the mindfulness exercises and started thinking positive things? Or was it because I was feeling so proud of myself and so good about myself that I trained myself to think positive things that I kept thinking positive things? And now the ego on me. I mean, I talk a big game about referring out, but I am so proud of everything that I have done and how hard I have worked from setback after setback after setback. This is not a challenge to the universe, but I, I, I'm not going to give up because I have practiced it. Right, right, and, and that's and that's another one. One, this is where going to someone who really understands your journey is helpful. When mm-hmm. when one of your patients go to you, they are getting a different approach because of what you have lived. Yes, your expertise is great. Yes, your education is great, but a lot of people can match that. What a lot of people can't match is your your passion from your personal experience combined with that experience that got you to where you are today. 
That's, that's something that, that can't be matched. And for the person who has not gone through any journey yet or is still struggling through a journey, this is why it does get easier. Because every time you do accomplish something, you have a confidence in yourself for the next challenge that didn't exist before. And now every time you accomplish something, big, small, whatever, whatever degree you want to put to it, it's only going to make the next step a little bit easier. So start accumulating wins because yeah. that's what, because then you're going to share the, the way you said how proud you were of yourself. It gave me goosebumps in an awesome way. But I think that should, again, that should be part of the goal for people to mm-hmm. feel as proud of you feel about yourself. People should aim to feel that proud about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not through the, uh, you went through some severe things that of course you wouldn't wish on anybody. Don't, don't do my path. Did, yes. Did, yes. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you already have in your plate is probably enough. Don't see, yeah. don't ask for more, but whatever it is, seek out that pride through, through the work. Cause it's, it's the greatest feeling. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree yeah. more. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Carly, this is awesome. How can people find you? So I am a chiropractor in Denver, Colorado. So if you happen to be local, I happen to have a private practice um, that you are welcome to come find me at. It is Healing Ground Chiropractic Care. Um, But I also have a podcast and I just had a really fantastic guest on there as well. Someone you might've heard of before. Um, But we have a lot of these conversations about um, health and wellness and and inspiring stories to keep you on the right track. And that is Healing Ground Movement. Um, And I I tease that I have a, a book coming out as well with more of my story. So if that is of interest to you, um, find healinggroundmovement.com and sign up for our newsletter and we'll keep you apprised of, of its forthcoming publications. Awesome. I, you know, a fun part of my job is my, my quote unquote research is I listen to people like you have podcasts or have other things. I get to listen to those because it helps me prepare for these. But in the meantime, I'm like, oh man, that's new. I didn't, you know, I get to learn about that or there's a cool other person I, I now can learn from. So besides the fact that I've just did it for myself, everyone, I, I highly recommend checking out your website, checking out your podcast, because every episode I've listened to so far has been just amazing. So I, I'm very fortunate to have met you. I'm glad we connected. Um, and, and this was great. So thank you so much for being on. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I so appreciated it. You stick around, please. Listeners, all this information will be in on the website, uh, in the show notes. So please take a look. Uh, go check out Dr. Carly in every version and format you can. And uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.